don't see it. He is working. And there are times where God does stuff in our lives and we don't recognize it instantly, but maybe we recognize it later on. And so I, I just want to encourage you, um, as I was preparing to come out, I just felt like I needed to encourage you. If you later on today or this week can pinpoint back to this moment that God worked in your life, he brought restoration to your, your relationship, he brought some type of breakthrough, he brought some type of healing, um, share that with us. We would love to hear the reports of what God does in your life as a result of our time together in worship. And so be watching for that, be listening for that. And so today we're going to take just a moment before we dive into the message for today. And I'm going to invite my friend Marissa Kalmbach to the uh, platform with me. And about a week ago, you got a letter in the mail that had a had our global uh, partners newsletters in, but it also had a newsletter from the Plus One Guidance Center. And today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, where most evangelical churches will celebrate um, the sanctity of human life. And it's usually on the anniversary closest to Roe versus Wade, I believe is what it is. And um, this year, it's kind of split down the middle. So some churches are celebrating today and some are next week and it doesn't matter. Uh, we just wanted to take time to, to talk about it. And Marissa's a volunteer there. And so I wanted her to share a little bit with us about why she volunteers and maybe how she got started in that. So let's start with how long have you been volunteering at the Plus One Guidance Center? Uh, the Plus One Guidance Center opened in February of 2015, and that's when I started volunteering, seven, almost seven years ago now. Wow, cool. And why, like, what made you take that step? Why did you start volunteering with them? Well, I heard about Plus One just through little murmurings throughout the community, and I knew that it would be a great place to volunteer, and I saw a need for it in Huron, and so I decided that I wanted to be a part of it. Okay. So you've been there seven years. What's been the most rewarding part of serving there? Um, seeing clients in our community and functioning in families and just knowing that we had a part in having them okay. better. Cool. Yeah. All right. And then any difficult, like what's the hardest part about working there? Um, sometimes the hardest part is when clients come in and you know the environments that they come from, both spiritually and physically, and um, just being able to help them and knowing the direction to go sometimes is difficult, but um, we have tons of different curriculum and different ways that we can help them. So Okay. And then how, what are the different ways that people can serve? Like maybe share like how you serve, like what role you play and maybe you play more than one role. Um, and then what are the, like, some of the roles? Like how can people be involved? Um, we have, whatever you want to do, you can do. I am a client advocate, so I see clients um, every day that I'm there and go through curriculum with them. But if you don't want to do that, you can come and answer phones. We need people to do that. We need people to come and clean, um, help sort through things for the boutique, and um, just whatever you want to do. And, of course, pray. And those are the kind of things that we can use. And there's also a need for... Hispanic speaking and um, Korean speaking volunteers that can interpret for us, whether as a client advocate or just an interpreter. Okay. And then what are like what are the needs? Like how can if maybe I don't have time to volunteer, but what are some of the ways that I can meet some needs that are there? Um, of course, there's always monetarily you can do that. Um, we can use size four, five, and six diapers uh, mostly. Um, and there's also prayer. People can pray for us. Definitely need a prayer all the time. Cool. 
And then, do they have a new, I mean, we get a newsletter. Yes. So is there a way they can sign up for, like, a newsletter or information to come to them? Yes. If you want to um, sign up for the newsletter, just let me know. Um, I can get you on that mailing list. Okay. And then anything else that I didn't ask you that you're like, they need to know this? Um, I think that's about <laughs> it. Cool. And you have information with you today? Yes. Okay. I have information. If you have any questions, you can see me after church. I'll probably be down here. Um, I got pamphlets and for both volunteers, or if you know somebody in the community who might benefit from the helps uh, that we have at Plus One. All right. Great. Thank you, Marissa. Thank Give you. her a hand for that. I know her favorite thing to do is come up on the stage and talk in front of people, and so uh, not really, but uh, she's willing to do it because she's passionate about what she does, and um, I'd encourage you, if you want more information, you could visit with her after service. Um, if you did not get the newsletter, just another plug for that, that we sent out, um, we may not have your correct mailing address, and so again, stop by the table, make sure we have the correct information for you. Want to get you plugged in um, to our mailing information, to the text messages that we send out, the emails that we send out. Um, there is also a place on the church center for you to sign up. We are in need of some help on Sunday mornings um, for the setup team, for the projector. How many of you appreciate knowing what to sing? Uh huh. You know that's a trick question. Um, but yes, we love it when someone puts the words up there for us to know how to to sing, and we need some volunteers for that. Uh, we've restarted our nursery. It doesn't meet every single Sunday, but uh, we're trying to, to expand that and to, to get some volunteers there. But on the Church Center website or Church Center app, there is a place for you to sign up to serve in ministry. And so if you would like to do that or if you would like help navigating what Church Center website or app even means, um, please visit with me or send me a text or an email and uh, we'll set up a time where we can meet together and uh, I can take you through that. So, all right, we are in a series called The Life You've Always Wanted, and it's, a, it's based on a book um, by John Ortberg. And what John basically does is he's talking in the, the introduction of the book, um, the first three chapters, about the life that God has always had in mind for us as humans. God planted us on this earth to be his representatives, and he had in mind what that would look like for us to to represent him, to be his uh, caretakers of the earth, to walk in his authority and power, and that was his plan. Well, sin entered the picture, and it marred that, but God has always been working to bring us back, and he will finish the work that he started. The Bible is really all about that story. It's about what his original design was and how it's going to come to pass in the end, and how heaven and earth will once again come together, heaven will come to earth just like it was in the Garden of Eden. And John talks about spiritual disciplines. And a lot of times we think of spiritual disciplines, you know, like fasting and praying and reading the Bible as kind of an end in themselves. And we do these things because we're Christian, we know we're supposed to, but he gives us the illustration of being a marathon runner and being on the U.S. marathon team. He says we're a part of the team and we don't train to be a part of the team we train so that as a part of the team, we can be successful, so that we can run our best marathon. And spiritual disciplines are that. It's taking the life that God has already put in us and helping us live it out in our daily lives. Too many of us, far too many of us as believers live compartmentalized lives. We think about the kingdom of God at certain times, 
and we live out the principles of the kingdom of God at certain times, but at other times we turn them off. And we don't do it um, like, we don't do it knowingly. We just kind of do it. I mean, we pray, like we pray a prayer like, oh God, please, you know, morning devotions, please restore that relationship I have with that coworker. And God, please, please help like that to be restored so they can see your light. Amen. Oh, praise God. And then we get in the car and the whole way there, we think about all the ways that they've dissed us and all the ways that they've hurt us and uh, what a terrible person they are. And when we get there, we tell other people about it. And then when we, we interact with them, we assume the worst and not the best and that and we literally walk through our day contradicting the very prayers that we've prayed. And we do that often. I do it often. Way more often than I even realize. And the thing about prayer is, prayer is coming to God and having Him write on my heart the things that need to be written so I live out the kingdom that He's already put in me. And the moment I put faith in Jesus Christ, the kingdom is in me. There's nothing I can do to be more pleasing in the sight of God than accept His Son and His sacrifice. Because it's the blood of Jesus Christ that makes me right with God and brings me into the kingdom of God. And it's only that. But now that I'm in the kingdom, I want to live out the kingdom in my daily life. I did not come into the kingdom so that one day when I die, I go to heaven. That's not why we were brought into the kingdom. We were brought into the kingdom to restore what God's original design was for us to live out the kingdom principles in this life, to be the place where heaven and earth come together. That's what Eden was, heaven and earth come together. And you, now that Christ lives in us, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Heaven and earth come together everywhere we are. Amen. That's some good preaching, Pastor. I love it. Praise God. And we live out this kingdom, but most of us don't. And when we don't, we feel guilty. And God, the Bible says there's no condemnation. There's no, it's not about feeling guilty. It's about picking up the disciplines that we need to pick up so that the life of God that's in us comes out of us. And this is a process that will take place until a chariot of fire shows up to take you home. In other words, you never stop. We never stop growing in the principles of the kingdom coming out of our lives. And that's what this has been about. Some of us needed the practice of celebration. We still need the practice of celebration. Some of us walk around as if, you know, the, the, the sky is falling every single day and there's nothing good happening anywhere and we just, we can't celebrate because the world's going to hell and it's... And yet in the culture, in the, the, the calendar of God, there were days of celebration actually mixed in. We talked about Nehemiah, and Nehemiah was reading, the, or Ezra was reading the lot of the people in, in the book of Nehemiah, and all the people were weeping. And they said, stop weeping. Today is not the day for weeping. Today is a day to celebrate before the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And some of us need to learn how to celebrate, even when life is hard. We have to learn to celebrate. We talked about the practice of slowing. And how in a culture that's you do as much as you can, multitask, run at breakneck speeds, sometimes we have to stop. And we have to Sabbath. And what Sabbath means, and we unpacked that. And now, in the month of January, we're focusing on the practice of prayer. The practice of prayer. And we, we talked about that a, a little bit in the first week. We just kind of laid out some of the principles in the book. We talked about prayer being an individual thing we do, a corporate thing that we do. Um, prayer is a declaration. Prayer is an invitation. Prayer is a, um, 
it's a, a time of communication with God. It's literally where God writes upon our hearts. The, the Christian life is not about you being taught the word of God and like memorizing the principles and then just going out and doing it. There has to be an aspect where we bow our heads humbly, uh, not f necessarily physically. The Bible doesn't say we have to bow our heads, but where we come before God and we say, write this on my heart. It's not just about me and my willpower doing this. I can't do this without you. And it's about humbly declaring before God that we want him to work in our lives. And so prayer is really more than what we sometimes define it as. We even talked about how the entire Christian life is one big moment of prayer where we're literally just saying to God, not my will, but your will be done. And last week, I started a, what I'm going to probably have as a three-part teaching on. I, I titled it, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Teach Us to Pray. And the disciples asked the Lord how to pray. Remember that last week we talked about they knew how to pray. Prayer is a big part of the Jewish culture. They did it several times a day. They had written prayers that they would say. But there was something about the prayer life of Jesus that caused them to say, we need to learn something from you about prayer. And all of us have things that we have to learn, not just from the Lord about prayer, but even from one another about prayer. We talked about the communal nature of this prayer. Our Father, give us, forgive us. All of the pronouns in this prayer are plural. And so it's not just about me and my God, it's about us. And if, only, if I only pray with me and myself and I and the Lord all the time, I'm missing out on a part of this prayer that Jesus taught without even recognizing it. We have to pray together. There's something about being in a room together, praying together, where God writes on all of our hearts what needs to be done. Praying with your family, praying with your friends. God writes these things on our, our hearts. So from Matthew chapter 6, let's look at this prayer before we get started again. Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 9, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Um, last week, I've shared a lot about um, the, the prayer itself and really about how we see the entire narrative of the Bible. For many of us, we see the narrative of the Bible or salvation about being an escape plan, um, that it's all about just getting to heaven when we die and getting everyone to heaven. But it's more than an escape plan. There is a part of, the, there is a part of God's plan that is about um, the forgiveness of sins, and it's about our eternal destiny, but it's a really about the redemption plan or the rescue plan that God has about bringing heaven to earth and living that out on a daily basis. And how we see the scripture and how we see the plan of salvation really affects how we see prayer. And so when Jesus prayed, and he prayed often, we don't have a written record of a lot of Jesus' prayer. We have like the tomb at La with Lazarus, we have Jesus praying there. We have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We have John chapter 17, his what we call the high priestly prayer that he prays. But we also have in Matthew's version, Matthew 26, 39, Jesus praying the very human prayer. My father, 
If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. There's an aspect of prayer where we're just surrendering to the Lord. And it doesn't have to be with our head bowed or on our knees or in a room alone or in the morning. It can be throughout the day. In fact, I would venture to guess that all of us need to pray this prayer often throughout our day. I mean, in our workplace where we're the ones that are being stubborn and trying to get our way and we think we're the righteous one and we're right, maybe sometimes we need to stop and say, Father, help me to make sure that I'm not just pushing my agenda and that I'm surrendered to your agenda. May your will be done in this situation, whether in the workplace or at home. Sometimes it's husbands and wives. Maybe we need to stop and say, hmm, maybe I'm not the one that's right. And maybe neither of us is the one that's right. Maybe both of us together are supposed to come up with something that's more complete because we're male and female created in the image of God together. Huh? Maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. And so that, that aspect of prayer is very important. Last week, we only looked at the first phrase, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that's an important prayer because that's an identity prayer. It reminds us that he's our father. We've been invited to call the creator of the universe, the hallowed God, the God that is incomprehensible, far above us, Father, Dad, Abba. That's the invitation that we've been given. And we have to keep that in mind, that privilege that we have to come before him, that he is our father, that he is always at work in our lives. The same way as earthly fathers, we want good things for our kids. That's what God is doing in our lives, even when it doesn't look like it. We have to trust him. Today, we're going to look at the phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think we're going to be able to finish up next week because the rest of the prayer, I believe, really just falls out of that. When we understand what it means to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the rest of the prayer really is just walking that aspect out, I think. In many of the Gospels, Mark chapter 1 especially, uh, it tells us when Jesus came. Jesus came in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. John was put into prison. And Jesus, up until this point, had no public ministry. But then it says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. That word good news is the word gospel. A lot of times today we use that word gospel to mean something that I don't know that, in the words of Aniga Matoya, uh, we keep saying that word, but I do not think it means what we think it means. Um, We think of the word gospel as Jesus died on a cross so you could be saved so you can go to heaven. And while that is a part of the gospel, that is not the full gospel. The gospel that Jesus came to preach, the good news, was the gospel of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, hear me again. Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection and our forgiveness of sins is a part of that. But just as I've said earlier, living out the kingdom of God lifestyle is also a part of the kingdom of God. And that's the message that Jesus preached. Over and over, if you read the words of Jesus, he preached the the gospel of the kingdom. The apostles preached in the book of Acts the gospel of the kingdom. You will find it throughout the New Testament, the gospel of the kingdom. It's about a kingdom. 
Jesus is coming to announce the beginning of the kingdom of God drawing near. It's at hand. It's coming. And now the kingdom of God, because of the Holy Spirit, is in us. And everywhere we go, we are pockets of heaven on earth bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. The kingdom of the Son He loves. He's brought us into the kingdom. It's done. It's now. Er, Derwin Gray wrote a book called God, Do You Hear Me? And what he does is talk about prayer throughout the entire book. And he says, when we are born into Abba's kingdom as royal priests, our new redemptive status gives us a sacred privilege and responsibility of proclaiming God's kingdom. Because of our new birth, we have a new worth that is equal to Jesus himself. His life, ministry, and mission are now ours. Our life is hidden in his life. And this idea of being a kingdom of priests has been in the scripture from the beginning. This is God's plan. Adam and Eve were priests. They were representatives of God on the earth. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Be my representatives. All authority is yours. That was the dominion. Adam and Eve were to take the presence of God, the kingdom of God, and spread it throughout the entire earth. And we know they didn't. But then God brought a man named Abraham along, and he brings a a people out of Abraham, known as the, the people of Israel, and he brings them out of Egyptian slavery. And in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, he talks to them about what he has just done for them. Not because of anything they have done, but because of what he has done. He says, I have brought you out so you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a totally set apart nation, holy We take that word holy and we make it into this moral code. And yes, holy has an aspect of morality. But when we make it just a moral code, then all we have to do is live up to a moral code. And then any nation on earth can be a holy nation. False. No human kingdom can ever be totally holy. Only the kingdom of God is holy. Totally set apart. Now, your, your earthly kingdom, your country, your nation, your workplace can apply biblical principles to it and see success as a result of it and even be blessed by God for choosing his way. But you will never be a totally set apart holy unless, because it's kingdom. Only kingdom is set apart as totally holy, totally set apart. It's, it's not like anything in this world. 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says the same thing. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy, a set-apart nation, a people, not Israel, followers of the way. That's who he's talking about. The people that have been grafted into God's family, kingdom. He has set up a kingdom on earth. And some of us are Americans, and some of us are Mexican, and some of us are Puerto Rican, and some of us are Nigerian, and some of us are from other nationalities, but we are all kingdom citizens first. And we can't forget our Canadian friends either. (laughs) Goodness, I went all around, but I, I missed the one closest to us. And so... 
Peter is exemplifying this. Then we skip to Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, he has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father and to give to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Then we get a picture of a song being sung in heaven in Revelation chapter 5. And they sang a new song saying, you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign where? On the earth. Guys, we don't have to just wait for Jesus to come back. We start living kingdom now. We bring kingdom here. You bring kingdom into your workplace. That's why you're there. Stop looking for a new job and complaining about the job you have and just start bringing kingdom. Hallelujah, that's good. I'm not saying there's never a time to, to change jobs, but all Americans, we have this idea that we have to complain about everything that's not right instead of just bringing kingdom to it. And we wonder why we change jobs and we change spouses and we change cities and we change locations and we're never happy because you have to get your happiness by being in the kingdom, not by being in anything earthly. That's where kingdom comes. We are a royal priesthood living with kingdom authority on the earth. And even as people that understand this, sometimes we fixate so heavily on the kingdom authority we have. You've got to take authority. You've got to have kingdom authority. King, be authority. And we, we get so heavy on authority, we forget the priesthood aspect. Whereas a priest, we're called to be holy. We're called to serve. We're called to love. We're called to represent God. We're a royal priesthood. There's authority and there's priesthood. We're serving. We're putting God on display. It's not about being in charge and commanding. It's about leading the charge. And sometimes that's with a towel and a bowl washing someone else's feet by serving them. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. He went around doing supernatural miracles and healing and breakthroughs and deliverance praise God for that Pentecost Woo! but God also went around just doing good feeding the poor sitting at a table with people who were outcasts and rejects giving value to people that were being disdained because of their nationality or because of their gender yeah Jesus went about doing good and when people say oh we can't worry about doing good that's not a part of the gospel false it's a, not a part of the American gospel but it's a part of the gospel of the kingdom Doing good and healing. It's both. These are two sides of the same coin. We get to see what the kingdom of God is like because Jesus is the kingdom. He is the kingdom. Derwin Gray says it this way. The kingdom, what does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like Jesus. The way that he lived and the way that he loved. The way that he healed the sick. The way we, he cried with the hurting, the way he broke down gender and racial barriers, the way he was a friend of sinners, the way he cleansed the temple of corrupt money changers, the way he took the forgotten and made them known, the way he left the 99 for the one, the way he died, the way he rose again. Jesus is the kingdom of God on full display. And when you and I pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are not asking God to do something on his end to align the stars in such a way that we get to see his kingdom. 
I mean, we may be asking God to do things that only God can do, soften the hearts of people, do work in the lives of people, move things around so that, that we can have an opportunity to minister to people. Yes, but what we are doing is we are asking to participate in the kingdom story. We are asking to be like the king, to live according to his ways, to live according to his life, to live according to his attitude. It's not about, oh, Lord, let your kingdom come today at work and make everybody else more like you. I mean, we don't actually pray that, but that's kind of how we live. Everyone else is the one that needs to change, Lord, not me. And when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven is about God I need you to write on my heart today the things that I think I'm doing, but I'm really not. The things I say amen to on Sunday, but I don't do them all week long. I saw a meme this week that said, if you're fasting and you're gossiping, you might as well go ahead and eat. I was like, I'm not going to like that because people will think that's mean. But isn't that the truth? I mean, we live out the, the, we pray these certain things, but we live as if the kingdom is future tense. Kingdom is now. Live like it. And it doesn't matter how anyone else acts. I mean, don't get me wrong. I get frustrated too. I have bad days. I get mopey. I, I sit for weeks and sulk and think I am the only one like Elijah who is healthy and spiritual on the earth. But it's not what's true. And every time I sulk, God eventually brings me back to a place where he says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Stop fixating on them and you just live the kingdom. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And if you read the rest of that passage, we won't take time to read it today because I want to cover a couple other things. But it talks about Jesus not grasping his equality with God, and how, as the body of Christ, we should not be jockeying for position, but we should be taking the role of a servant. We should be willing to be obedient, even if it means suffering, or laying down our privileges, or even dying. And in our relationships with one another, that's how this should be lived out. I mean, taking on the same attitude as Christ Jesus doesn't mean just how we treat the abortion issue. It means how we treat every issue. And if we say that there's sanctity of human life for the infant that's in the womb, and I believe there is, we better be living out that there's sanctity for all life. And if you're putting your boss down, if you're putting another human being down, if you're like being critical of them publicly before you have done anything privately, stop it. Because you're not living the sanctity of human life. You're picking and choosing what life is sacred. All life is sacred. That's the truth of the kingdom. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're asking God to live out the life of Jesus on the earth. And that's what the rest of the prayer is all about. When we ask God for our daily bread, we're not just asking for our needs to be met. That's a part of it. But the daily bread takes us back into the wilderness, trusting that God is going to supply our needs. And when maybe I ask for something, but it doesn't get met according to my plan or my will or my desire, with me at the center, it's okay because I trust Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And my daily bread is not just what I think I need, it's what my Father says I need. And He provides everything I need. And if I keep my eyes fixed on Him, He will be enough for me. 
we ask him to meet our needs. We ask him for forgiveness, <laughs> and then it's tied to forgiving others. And this is a big one in the church today. We talk a big game about forgiving, but we hold grudges like nobody's business. And we talk about, well, I'm trying to forgive them. Honey, get on your face before God until he does a work in your heart and writes forgiveness and mercy. Because in your willpower, you will never do it. You can't do it. But he does it for us. He writes it on our heart. And you keep going back to him and saying, God, I'm st I still need this. I need this. I need this. I let this come out of my mouth. That should have never came out of my mouth. That has no place in my mouth. Because I'm a child of the king. That's not how the king talks. Oh, but that's how they treated me. So, Lord, you understand. No, he doesn't understand. Because when he was mistreated, he did not retaliate. He held his tongue. And he has empowered you and I to do the same. Praise the Lord. Then we pray, Lord, lead us, deliver us. It's your kingdom, it's your power, it's your glory forever. Amen. And the rest of that prayer, that's really identity we got to get. Your kingdom come, we have to understand what we're asking for. And then the rest of the prayer just comes into being. At the end of the service today, I'm going to pray a prayer that comes from the book that Derwin Gray wrote about prayer. God, do you hear me? And I love this prayer, and I want to read it to you now, and then I'm going to pray it for us at the end of the service. He says this. He says, Abba, engulf me with a desire to see your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. Align my will to yours. Your kingdom is no longer a mystery. Jesus is the kingdom of God. The way he lived and loved. The way he healed and cried. The way he washed his disciples' dirty feet. The way he broke down racial and gender barriers to transform a Samaritan woman's life. The way he was a friend to sinners like me. The way he cleansed the temple of the money changers. The way he took the forgotten and made them known. The way he left the 99 to find the one. The way he died. The way he rose from the dead. The way he will come again. May Abba, may hit, Jesus is the full... Jesus is the kingdom of God on full display. It's hard when you put the words on the screen. You've got to read them. Abba, may his life, his ways, his attitude be mine. And may the hope of your future kingdom give power in the present to live out your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. And maybe that's a prayer that you and I need to pray every single day. Okay. So the question I want to ask over these last few moments is, are we okay with life in the kingdom? And before we very quickly say, oh yes, amen, pastor, I am very, may we recognize what that means and how that needs to be lived out in our lives. This phrase, the good news of the kingdom, is a political phrase. The Greek empire, the Roman empire, would have used this phrase they would have talked about the gospel, literally the same words, the gospel of the Greek empire, the gospel of the Roman empire. So when they overthrow a, a nation and they come in, they would send in people that would declare the gospel of the Roman empire, the good news of Rome. Here's what's happened. You've been taken over by Rome, but here's the good news of the Roman empire. And the good news <laughs> would be the laws you have to obey, but it would also be the rights and privileges that you would be given as now part of the Roman Empire. 
So when Jesus comes on the scene using this phrase, he is saying he is a king and a kingdom. Now, you understand why this is treasonous and why he was crucified on a cross. Because the people that were crucified on crosses were not thieves. They were people, they were insurrectionists. The Roman Empire would take anyone who was an insurrectionist, a terrorist, if you will, and they would make a public display of them so everyone would be afraid and no one would try to revolt. So that along with the message of the good news of the kingdom. Now, Jesus doesn't use fear as a motivator. He preaches the gospel of the kingdom. He brings it in. And there is a way for us to live as kingdom of God citizens here on this earth. Daniel shows us it. The Apostle Paul shows us it. We can have a nation, a nationality. We can be proud of a nation that we're from in this world. We can actually serve in the military. We can stand and honor those who serve in the military. Even if you don't agree with war, you ought to stand and you ought to say thank you to people who have fought for you to be free to think the way that you think. That's just my humble opinion. However, we should also be okay with people who don't stand. Because that's part of freedom too. And ultimately, my identity is not rooted in any human nation. It's kingdom of God. I'm a kingdom citizen. And so when we talk about this racial and gender issue, I mean, I'm guessing somebody's ears perked up when Derwin Gray talked about gender and racial issues. Because now we've been conditioned that that's not a part of the gospel. And here's the truth, or here's at least my take on it. Some people in the church will totally turn a, a blinded eye to gender issues and racial issues and think there's nothing that ne ever needs to be repented of or apologized for. The way women have been treated, especially in the evangelical church over the last 20 to 30 years, needs to be repented of. It really does. Um, there have been things that have been hidden. Women have been mistreated. They have been uh, made to feel inferior. They have been sexually abused, and it's been covered up. There is all kinds of atrocities, and I don't care if I have been a part of it or Restoration Church has been a part of it. I will, in the name of the church of Jesus Christ, repent on behalf of those who have and for those who have been hurt by it. And it's the same with racial issues. There are ways that we have mistreated, misaligned, misunderstood. There have ways that, of inequality and insensitivity that we can, we can repent of as a church. And there is one side of the issue that says there's nothing to repent of, and there's the other side of the issue that says everything needs to be repented of. And I'm guessing that somewhere in the middle lies the truth. And so if you find yourself on one extreme or another, I'm sorry if what I say offends you. I find myself trying to find that middle because there is stuff we need to repent of. And that doesn't mean I don't love our country. And that doesn't mean that I think that everything that certain organizations promote is true. But I'm going to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And I'm going to avoid the arrogance and extremism and the marrying of political ideology with the kingdom of God and I'm going to live as a citizen of the kingdom. This last week, I read a blog post by a friend of mine. His name's Mark Turnage. Mark led the tour that I went to Israel about seven or eight years ago. So um, that really was a turning point in my life where I really began to understand that the Bible isn't really written just for me, that the kingdom of God is bigger than me and myself. Um, 
and I, I joke a little bit, but yet that's kind of how I was raised, that it's all about, you know, Jesus just loves you, and he does. He loves me, but he didn't die for me. He died for us, okay? He died for the world, and me is a part of that. Me is a part of us, and I don't need it to be that absolute personal, just all about me, and when we make it all about me, there's a danger, and Mark spoke to that danger because Mark, he, he kind of points out, and I, I put this on Slack, I put this on my Facebook page, the church Facebook page, if you, if you want to read the blog post in its entirety, but he talks about the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 15. If you read those chapters, you will see that the Apostle Paul expresses a great desire to be with the, the church in Rome. He wants to go be with them. Um, he, his heart is in it. He wants to mutually encourage them himself. He wants to build the kingdom, and that's a part of it. But things don't go the way Paul expected because he's imprisoned for three years in Caesarea. But during those three years, he has a traveling companion by the name of Luke. And Luke is not a Jew. Luke is not a Hebrew. So Luke is not familiar with the, the, the history of the nation of Israel, and he's not familiar with Abraham, and he's not familiar with Mary and Jesus, and all of that happened while Jesus was on the earth. He's probably heard about it from Paul, but Luke, during the three years that Paul is imprisoned in Caesarea, is strategically placed to have eyewitness interviews with all of the people that were a part of this story. And Luke, we believe, did that. When we think about who wrote most of the New Testament, most of us think the Apostle Paul did, but the Apostle Paul did not. He wrote most of the books of the New Testament, but word for word, Luke wrote more New Testament than anyone else. Luke Acts gives us such a complete take on this gospel of the kingdom. And it comes to us, quite possibly, because of the suffering of Paul. Had Paul not been in prison for three years in Caesarea, Luke would not have had the access he had during those three years to the eyewitnesses that he spoke with to give you and I a greater understanding of the gospel of the kingdom and the life of Jesus. And so this is what Mark writes. This isn't the whole blog post, but this is a big part of it. And I don't have it on the screen. It was just too long to put up. But again, if you want to see it, it's on my Facebook page. I'll print a copy if you don't have Facebook. If you can't get on Slack, I'll get it to you if you want it. But listen to this. If Paul's plans that he outlined in Romans had worked the way that Paul wanted them to and the way that he had asked the Romans to pray for, Luke would not have had time to research and pull together the information he compiled in his gospel in the beginning of Acts. Paul's incarceration in Caesarea provided Luke the time he needed and time that he used. Put simply, without this delay in Paul's life, we would not have the majority of the New Testament. Do not despise the divine delays in your life. We have a tendency to place ourselves at the center of God's plan. Our faith often is very egocentric. When we read the outline of Paul's plans in Romans, they are good. They're even God-centered, but they also centered on Paul and his ministry. God had a larger plan. If Paul's plans had happened the way he designed, we might not have much of the New Testament today. The singular question that the Bible poses to us is this. Who is king? If God is king, then my role is simple. He makes the rules, I obey them. 
I merely submit to his rule and reign daily. I seek his kingdom. If I submit to his rule and reign, then he is sovereign to use me as he wants, including putting me on the sidelines for a period. It's not all about me. Like with Paul, his delay enabled Luke to begin the process that led to compiling the gospel and Acts. At the same time, if I am submitted to him, he is free to use me as he wants. In other words, I may want to arrive in Rome with joy, but for the sake of his kingdom, I may arrive in chains. Do not despise the divine delays in your life. If you find yourself sidelined or delayed, do not despair. God is not finished with you. Even when circumstances or our own choices bring us to a dead end, He is not done with any of us. It's amazing that God invites us to be a part of His plan and to participate with His will, but never forget, He's the King and we are not. Rest in the daily act of submission to His will. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. When I read that this week, I needed to hear that. As I started this service with today, I told you that it was about a year ago that we sold our building. And When people look at that from outside, I get questioned all the time because I'm the pastor. And so people ask all the time, why'd you start a building? Why'd, why'd you do this? Why'd you make this move? Because here's the thing. If we had sold that building and we bought land to build a build, bigger building, no one would question it. It'd be, hey, that's what we do. Yeah, in the kingdom of the world. And I want to be careful. I have all the way through this process, and I want to still say that, say this. I have never said, thus saith the Lord, that God said we had to do this. I've never even said that every church should do this, and churches that don't do this are living in, in, in rebellion, no? But what seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit was to take this move. And in some ways, it feels like we've entered into a wilderness experience where, you know, things just aren't the same, there's like this loss. And the funny thing is, if you go back and you listen to what I said to you and what I said to our leaders, I told us this would happen. Because other people told me it would happen. But you know what? That doesn't make it easier when it happens. And there are many times through this year that I have just literally gone into periods of sulking. And I don't tell anyone. In fact, um, Pastor John was the one that I sulked to the most. And it was so good to have him, like, because he wouldn't let me just sulk. He kicked me in the pants nicely and get me back on track. So when he and Heather moved in May, I literally floundered. And I'm like, I don't know what to do because... I don't know where to turn. And it was this week when I read this that God's like, you've never been alone, but I will kick out every prop in your life until you learn to trust me. And I'm not saying that he took John and Heather away because they were a prop, <laughs> but that's how the kingdom works. And every time it looks like the bottom falls out of the, our lives, we're like, oh, man, I just, I, oh. Because, I mean, in the kingdom, everything's supposed to be good. The stars are supposed to align, and the church is supposed to be filled, and everything's supposed to just work out right. But sometimes there are seasons where we struggle, and we wonder. 
And so as I was prepping for this week, it was good to hear my friend Mark remind me that God is writing a bigger story than Restoration Church, than Tom Brantner, than any of us. And he's invited us to be a part of it. And sometimes everything lines up perfectly. And sometimes the hardest moments of our lives are actually the most productive. And we won't even get to see it on this side of eternity. But that's about trusting. The Apostle Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. That means he wanted to die. I love that the Apostle Paul had days where he wanted to die, because that encourages me on days where I'd be like, Lord, just take me. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And see, it's easy to be raised in a Christian home and to be raised as a believer and to memorize a lot of scriptures and really think that as you're applying them to your life that you're really following God. But really, we're applying them to our lives in a very self-centered way, in a way that actually builds our own kingdom, kingdom of God with us at the center. And God wants to make sure that he's really the center of our lives. Not because he's egocentric, because any other way won't work. If we are the center of our own kingdom, if we just take the biblical principles and apply them, but I stay the center, I call the shots, everything I build will be terrible. I'll die, people around me will die, no life. But if I keep him at the center, there'll be life. And it's sometimes so hard and so subtle. And so the way that God allows that to happen is taking away props. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that only the eternal remains. And so as we go through this week and as we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. I hope that the Lord shows us more and more what it is that we're asking for. And I hope that he answers that prayer. Not because I, my flesh wants him to. In fact, sometimes I'm just like, okay, Lord, I just don't even want to pray this today. <laughs> I'm so tired. But you know what? He's just there. Every time you call, ah, oh, Father, I can't handle it today. He's like, I know. You never could. Even when you thought you could, you couldn't. But I'm glad you're here. And so... I want to pray for us, and I want to pray the prayer that I prayed earlier today. But before I do, I just want to pray a different prayer. Father, <laughs> we need your help. We need your help more than we even recognize we need your help. And yet, God, you are so faithful. Even when we try to do things in our own strength and we make a mess, man, you are faithful. Even when you pronounce a judgment, when you discipline us or when you allow something into our lives now because of a bad decision that we've made or just through the circumstances around us, we know that you are always working for our good to bring about your purposes in our lives. Not, 
just our purposes, not just our little kingdoms, but your kingdom in all of its fullness. It's so much bigger than it is. It's so much bigger than we've made it to be. It's not all about me. And God, as we go through this week, we need you to show us where we've made it all about me. And show us how you want us to make it more about us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Oh, just like Jesus, we're going to at times pray, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from us. But nevertheless, not what we will, your will be done. And so, Abba, engulf us with a desire to see your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. Align our will to yours. Your kingdom is no longer a mystery. Jesus is the kingdom of God. The way he lived and loved. The way he healed and cried. The way he washed his disciples' dirty feet. The way he broke down racial and gender barriers to transform a Samaritan woman's life. The way he was a friend to sinners like me. The way he cleansed the temple of corrupt money changers. The way he took the forgotten and made them known. The way he left the 99 to find the one. The way he died. The way he rose again from the dead. The way he will come again. Jesus is the kingdom of God on full display. Abba, may his life, his ways, his attitude be ours. And may the hope of your future kingdom give power in the present to live out your kingdom now. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being patient. I know we went a little over uh, today. Don't forget to stop by the table that's out in the lobby. We've got offering baskets there, but we've also got more information about our church, ways you can connect with us. Please take time to fill that out. Um, our hosts will be able to answer any questions that you have, or I'll be around out in the lobby as well. Stop me. I'd love to explain anything further to you. God bless you as you go today.